You are listening to audio from the Creek Church. If you would like more information about the Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. I love being with you guys. I love being in the house of God. I love being in the presence of God. And I love when we all get together, it's just icing on the cake for me. Um, this, has been a, this has been one of those uh, difficult weeks that we all, you know, we all go through. Um, and it's just kind of part of life. Uh, but it's just been difficult. Um, the uh, last Sunday, uh, events in Sutherland Springs uh, obviously bring a lot to our mind. Uh, this, uh, this, this weekend, uh, we've had, uh, well, yesterday was one, tomorrow is our, or today is our second one. <clears throat> um, we had a Creek member pass away last Sunday afternoon. Um, Chad Blevins, 44 years old, uh, one of our Creek family, got sick six weeks ago and um, uh, passed away last Sunday. Um, I'm going to be, I did that service yesterday. I'll be doing a service today after the third service uh, of a father and brother of Creek members um, that passed away suddenly on Monday. Those are difficult things to walk through. Um, it's a difficult thing we're walking through in, in the church world in light of Sutherland Springs. And so I, I want to <clears throat> pray, for, uh, pray for the community of Sutherland Springs and pray for the church, not just, not just the church in Sutherland Springs, not just the Creek Church, but the church, the body of Christ. Um, because when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Uh, but, but I want us to really remember this and focus on this, that that. The God that we serve is not outside of human suffering. He has fully engaged himself in what we face in life. And he is still on the throne. And he's still good. And he's still worthy to be praised. And, and last week, you know, we were reminded of a sanctuary being a place of peace and safety and security. And last week, evil entered that sanctuary. And we have to realize this truth that we live in a world that is broken we live in a world that deals with effects of sin. We have an enemy that has a purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying everything about God. And we've got to understand that's the reality we live in, but also the reality is we have a God who is still on the throne, fully in control, fully able and capable and worthy of our praise and affection. And so I want to pray for the community because over the next several two weeks, an unimaginable pain that they're going to experience over and over and over again through services, over two dozen services, 26, that they're going to have to go through. So I want to pray for them. So join me in praying. Father, we, um, we hurt with our, our body. We hurt with the brothers and sisters of Sutherland Springs. God, we know that you um, have placed Jesus as the head of the church, the body. And we know that your heart is hurt. We know that you are the God of all comfort and that you are near to the brokenhearted. And so we ask you to pour out that grace and comfort in our communities, in the community of Sutherland Springs, um, in our community. And God, we just ask you to unite the church as this body, to minister to one another, to walk in the grace and the peace and the unity you've called us to so that we can shut the door, Father, in the face of the enemy and he has no place in this. He is not going to rule with fear. He's not going to inject fear into any of us. We stand on the promises of God. We stand on the hope of your word. And we stand on the truth that you are, you are still in control. We love you and we ask you to guide us in what our steps need to look like. And to honor you through this tragedy. 
And we pray, Father, that you, who are the God of resurrection, that you bring incredible beauty from ashes of tragedy. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, One truth I want you to remember. Jesus said this, do not fear the one who can kill the body, fear the one who can kill the soul. The only thing death can do to a Christ follower is make our lives eternally better, okay? And so remember the truth of the word of God when the enemy tries to get you into fear. Um, and uh, also another thing I wanna, wanna tell you, we're, we're gonna be sending out a survey. If we, we have your, if we have your email in our database, you're gonna be getting an email survey. The heart behind this, and I asked my team to put this together, the heart behind this is as the church grows, I wanna protect the heart of the church, the heart can remain the same regardless of the size of a body in the church. And I want, I want to get some feedback from you on some areas of focus and, and things that, that we do. Because one of the challenges in a growing church is we try to do everything for everybody and be everything for everybody. And what ends up happening is we do nothing well. And we're called to excellence. And what we do, we want to do with excellence. So there may be some things that we're doing that we don't need to be doing. Um, there may be some things you want us to do and you want done in your church, but I've got to be honest with you. We may not do those because it's not that they're a bad idea. They're just not the best thing that God's called us to do. And so I want to get some feedback from you because um, whenever I ask people, they're like, oh, everything's great. And I know not everything's great, okay? If, if I believe that everything's perfect about our church, then I'm, I'm, I'm on something. Because I know we're, we're a broken bunch of people that gather in this room and gather in this place and go into our communities, and we ain't perfect. And if we ain't perfect, there's no way we got a perfect church, okay? We have a perfect Savior. That's it. So I want to get your feedback. Um, and so we'll go from there. If you got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back tables for you. If you don't own one, I want you to take that. It's my gift to you, our gift to you. I want you to have access to the word of God. We put it on the screen. You can find it on a smartphone. Um, But what I love is when when we can get in and engage with the word of God. So if you need need a Bible, we're gonna get you one. But Luke chapter 10 is where we're gonna be. Um, This is Jesus sending out 72 on on a mission, on a gospel mission, a glorious mission. And I I wanna kind of work through what's going on with this sending and returning over the next two weeks. Um, Verse one says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So what's, what's happening here, there's, a, there's a, a passage that we preached on earlier in Luke where Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. This isn't to be confused with, with that same sending. What's happening is the gospel message and the message of the kingdom is picking up momentum and Jesus had sent out the 12 and they came back and now he's sending out the 72. He appoints them and sends them out in pairs. And he says, go and prepare the way. Go into the towns that I'm about to go to because here's, here's the beauty about it, this gospel mission. Let me, let, me, let me set some foundation about the gospel first. The gospel is, is the good news that we have a God who is involved in our life that did, did what he did to reconcile us to him. And and in doing those, he sent Jesus, his son, to be born of a virgin. We're about to celebrate his birthday, by the way. You know, some of y'all already got your trees up celebrating that birth. You know what I love about our society is right after you finished this year, back to school shopping for your kids, man, society was like, let's worship Jesus. You know, let me remind you that we're getting ready to celebrate Jesus. We're having a Christmas sale in September all because of Jesus. See, I I wanna redeem everything, right? 
So even when I get, I used to get frustrated and be like, these freaking sinners, these people, these heathens, you can't play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Well, here's the deal. <clears throat> my, my son-in-law is Canadian. I've already celebrated Thanksgiving. Theirs was in October, so I'm free, baby. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. I can play Christmas music whenever I want. But, but here's the thing. We're focusing in on the birth of Christ. Jesus was born of a virgin, <clears throat> lived a perfect life, sinless life, willingly gave his life on a cross on a hill that is now called Calvary. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. I love that it was borrowed. It's like the first Airbnb, right? Um, I, I'm gonna avoid the temptation to tell you my Airbnb story says that for another day. He borrowed the tomb for three days. On the third day, stepped out of that tomb, fully alive, holding the keys to death, the grave, hell. Went into hell, ransacked hell, took it over, man. And was alive. Spent 40 days on the earth ministering to his disciples, apostles. And then he was ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's not just the gospel. Those are facts of the gospel. That's the truth of what happened. It's the truth of the events and the facts. Where the news gets really good, my life has been transformed by that truth. See, good news isn't just facts. Good news is when it hits home. Because Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and gave his life, he was the sacrifice of sin, fully bearing the weight and the wrath of God against the sin of mankind. That when my life is placed in his hands, my sin was nailed to the cross. When he walked out of that human resurrection, that I have the hope of a new life and I who am in Christ have been raised to a new life. The old me is dead, it's gone. That's the good news. The good news is I was dead, I'm alive. I was an enemy of God and I've now been reconciled and brought into a relationship and when he looks at me, he doesn't see this mess of a man who, who struggles in life but he sees me through the blood of Christ and he says, you are my son, the righteousness of God. Because in Christ, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news, that my life has a connection in, this, in these facts. And Jesus is sending these, uh, these disciples out, these men, 72 men out, to say, you proclaim the kingdom of heaven. You tell them I'm coming. I, th I think, of, well, I can't go there, never mind. The movie had a cuss word in that line, so I can't say it. But you tell them I'm coming, and when I'm coming, hope is coming. Freedom is coming, redemption is coming, reconciliation is coming, salvation is coming, life is coming. So you go tell them what's coming. <clears throat> and he sends them out. Some of you are thinking, dear Jesus, he's only on verse one, and we're not gonna make it to lunch. We'll get you, <clears throat> I'll get you out of here on time, don't worry. Verse two, and Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. So this mission, this glorious mission, this gospel mission that we're on, Jesus is laying some foundation that this mission, first of all, is difficult. Here's what I know about harvesting. It's hard work. You know, we, we glamorize it and we look at, well, we got all this machinery. It's still hard work. There are days I daydream about being the guy that drives the combine 
you know, just going through this giant field of grain, it's gold, driving this big, big combine, and man, just throwing in some music and just, just going. I mean, phone ain't ringing, you know, there's no emails to check, nobody texts me, I'm out in the middle of nowhere in the field. See, I, my, my in-laws have a ranch, and I go out there and I'll get on the tractor. Tractor time for me is therapy. But here's the reality. I get on that tractor, I'm like, I will schedule days to go just tractor time. <clears throat> the first five minutes on that tractor's fun. And then I'm like, man, I'm gonna be doing this all day. And I, I'm not ADD, but I, maybe I am just enough to think, man, there's, I would much rather do something else. I mean, I got music going and everything, but I'm on this track, and I'm, I'm gonna be on this thing for six more hours. It's like, <laughs> that's hard work. Harvesting is hard work. My grandfather... He used to tell me a story about his father. They were harvesting corn. And my grandfather, my, fa- my great-grandfather said to my grandfather, he said, son, you need to get out, out there and help them pick the corn. And he said, dad, I, I can't do as much as they can do. I mean, he was only seven or eight years old. Some of you are like, I wouldn't ask my seven or eight-year-old to do, do stuff like that. Get him working. Teach him something, you know? There's value in hard work. But he told my grandfather, my great-grandfather said, son, I don't expect you to do as much as they do but I expect you to do your best. And so my grandfather grew a garden. And what's he doing when I'm growing up? Come on, we're gonna go harvest out of the garden. I expect you to do your best. For us in the kingdom, Jesus isn't saying to the disciples, hey, I'm expecting you to go do everything, but I'm expecting you to do your best. I love that Jesus didn't go with them because Jesus said, you're laborers, and I'm sending you out as laborers. I think if Jesus would have gone with them, they wouldn't have been laborers. They would have been spectators. There's a lot of us that like that. I'll tell you, I get in that mode. God, I just want to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I just want to see what you're doing. I want to watch you work. And he said, that's not the way this works. You come along with me, and you get involved. It's interesting that Jesus said, pray for more laborers. Don't pray for people to take on a job you won't do. I think that's a problem in the church today. And people are like, well, I don't want to do that. I'll pray for someone else to do that. Jesus is saying, here's how this mission works. Here's how the kingdom works. As you work, pray for those to come and work with you. See, work isn't a result of sin. Let me clear up some theology. A lot of people think that work is a result of the sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, then God sent work. No, work work was given by God and was, was healthy and wholesome even before the fall of man, even before sin. Now, the, the, so the struggles that you face in your job, that's a result of sin. But there is work in the kingdom. And when we get to heaven, um, here's some other theology that's kind of stupid. Um, we're not gonna sit on clouds with harps and wear diapers. Uh, what is it, Charmin commercial? What? That ain't heaven, okay? Don't get your theology from cartoons and commercials. We will work in heaven. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I thought it was rest. It's redeemed and fulfilled work. You get experiences and glimpses of that in your job sometimes when you're working and you just, I'm working hard and, and this just feels right. And there's just, you get a glimpse of that fulfillment of work. And we're called to work, we're called to be engaged. It's difficult but we're still called to do it. Jesus goes on. He says, um, 
Go your way, verse three, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So this mission is difficult and this mission is dangerous. <laughs> Sounds great, right? Sign me up. We just honored veterans who took on a dangerous and difficult mission. And it's worth it. He says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Spend enough time on the ranch to know this. When you have sheep and lambs and you have a wolf or a coyote, it's not gonna go well for the sheep. I've seen that play out. And Jesus is fronting them. Jesus, I love that God is honest with us, right? He's not fluffing it up. He's not giving us some exaggerated job description. And once we accept the position, he says, oh yeah, that was just to get you in the door. He's been honest with us up front. This mission of the gospel that I'm calling you to, it's difficult, it's hard. You gotta work at it. Narrow is the road that leads to life. It takes a lot of work to stay on a narrow road. It's dangerous. We see the reality of that in our society. I mean, even in church, we think it's a safe place. The only safe place is in the hands of God. And I'm great. Here's the thing. I believe there's three types of people in the world. There's sheep, there's wolves, and there's sheepdogs. The wolves want to kill the sheep and the sheepdogs protect the sheep. And I'm grateful that we have people who are called to be sheepdogs. We have our gatekeepers who stand at post every weekend. They've got hundreds of hours of training. They've accepted a dangerous calling that they are willing to lay down their life for you every time you come on campus. Because they have a calling to protect our men and women who put on a uniform as first responders, our police, and I'll even say our, our paramedics and firefighters because they're in a dangerous calling. They're willing to do that every day to protect us, the men and women who put on a uniform in the military in every branch. They're willing to accept that dangerous mission and difficult mission. Why? Because they see the value in it. If we don't see the value in the gospel, if we only see the facts of what Jesus did or a man did or something that we think the Bible has given us information about, if we don't see value in that, if our life hasn't been placed as in that good news to be transformed, then, then we're not gonna say that, that that's worth it. That's not worth it. I'm not gonna die for these facts. I'm not gonna die for this story. I'm not gonna die for this belief. But when it transforms our life, We've already given our life to it. So it's dangerous. Here's what we've got to realize. Anytime we do something for Jesus, the enemy is going to put a target on our back. That's the reality. His goal, to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy hates you. He hates me. He hates God. And that's a reality, that, that's, a, that's a truth we've got to get to real quick because a lot of people are like, well, the devil's not messing with me. If he ain't messing with you, you better check some things. It's a dangerous mission. Verse four, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for, on that day for Sodom than for that town. If you remember in the Old Testament, it did not go well for Sodom. God was looking for just one righteous in the town. And in God's judgment, he destroyed the town. Remember Lot's wife, as they're running away, she looks back, she turns to a pillar of salt. That is not the salt and light Jesus is calling us to in the kingdom of heaven. It also brings a connection to what what we preached on last week when Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If we're always looking back thinking, is that better than what I'm called to, then, then we'll freeze or we'll end up back in our past. That's a whole preaching for another day. We'll come back to that one. That's a good one. But what Jesus is saying is this, this mission of the gospel requires dedication and discipline. This dedication and discipline means, means I'm, I'm all in. Jesus wants us all in. He said, don't take any money with you. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't take a backpack. Don't, you know, not even an overnight bag. Not a carry-on. You, you go. <clears throat> And the dedication is this. God, I'm, I'm dependent on you. I'm focused on this mission. I'm going out to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to prepare the way for you to come into these towns and these cities to proclaim the kingdom and bring that light, bring that life. And I'm going. There's an urgency involved. He's like, if you got stuff weighing you down, he said, I don't want you going down the road trying to count up how much money you got left to see if you can eat in the next town. You trust me for that provision. There's going to be places that you go where there's going to be people that receive you and when they receive you, go in, stay with them. Don't go from house to house. Go, oh, you have a, you have a soft bed? Do you have a, a hard bed? You know. So do you do breakfast? You know. Hey, if you do breakfast, do you do eggs, bacon? Come on. Stay there. Eat what they put in front of you. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony. Like, man, <clears throat> I ain't carrying any of this. I came, but here's what you need to know. The kingdom of heaven was near to you and you rejected it. He says this, don't, don't be embarrassed about receiving this hospitality. A laborer deserves his wages. It's, it's interesting, there's two sides of that, that, that when we work, there's a wage. Here's what I know. None of you out of the goodness of your heart volunteer 40 hours a week to the company you're going to go to tomorrow. And your company, out of the goodness of their heart, is going to say, I so appreciate you serving here at this corporation. I'm going to give you a check. No, you make an arrangement. I'm going to give you 40 hours. You're going to give me money. You do a good job. You work hard. They're going to give you a paycheck. You don't work hard. You don't do your job. They're not going to give you a paycheck, and then you're, we're going to be, you're going to be on another prayer list. <laughs> we're called to work hard. When we work hard, we expect a wage. Jesus talks about wages. The scriptures talk about wages. The wages of sin is death. You know, if, if we're going to work for sin, then we're going to receive a wage for that. 1 Timothy 5 tells us that, that we're not to muzzle the oxes that's treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. 
this treading, this ox treading out. If we muzzle this ox, then what happens, uh, it would go in a circle and it would turn this giant mill that would, would we work in the grain. <clears throat> and if the ox can't eat anything that comes on the floor, he's gonna get weak and your production goes down. And if your production goes down, you're not, you're not making anything. But he says the laborer deserves his wages. What he's saying to these 72 he's sending out, Jesus is saying, it's okay for you to receive the hospitality of those that are accepting you and welcoming you into their home. Be grateful for it. But you're working for me. You're working for the Lord. And, and, and here's the reality. Paul said that when we work for the gospel, then we make our living by the gospel. What does that mean? It, it, it's, it's kingdom economics, that when I'm working in the kingdom, when I'm, when I'm doing the work of the Lord, when I'm a laborer, not a spectator, I'm engaged in the work of the kingdom, there's a wage that's coming. And so we think, well, what, are, what is this? We don't work for salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's grace. So what are some of these wages that as we work in this mission, it's grace, peace, it's fruit of the spirit, it's hope, it's it's long-suffering, patience, stamina. But we don't focus on these things. I mean, if you're doing your job just for the dollar, I think you ought to reevaluate some things. But when we work for the kingdom, he says, look, I'm I'm gonna supply all of your needs. All of our needs are supplied according to his glorious riches. He's going to take care of, the, of, his, of his kids who were working in the harvest. And, and what's interesting, and he says, when they don't receive you, it's going to be, it's going to be worse for that town than it, w- it was for Sodom. He goes on to say this. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You should be brought down to Hades. Therefore, um, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. What Jesus is doing here is, is he's using three ancient cities. So you got, you got Sodom, and you've got Tyre, and you've got Sidon, and these were three cities in the Old Testament that God's judgment burned against, and they were destroyed. And what he's saying is, is these current cities in first century, Chorazin, um, uh, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, he's saying, look, do you think you're gonna get off just as easy? Here, here's the reality. What you, you need to understand is these three cities Jesus has already been in, ministering to, and they rejected him. He said if, if, if the ancient cities, if Sodom and Tyre and Sidon had seen the Messiah come into their city and minister, they would have repented. They would have humbled themselves and repented. But you, you've seen the revelation. You've seen the Messiah and you rejected it. So, so it's not gonna go well for you in the judgment. And a lot of people think, well, this is harsh language from Jesus. Do you know what Jesus is being here? Honest. Because we, we, we love the justice side of God when we want God's justice on our behalf. 
God, don't you see how they're persecuting me? God, don't you see how they're treating me? God, don't you see this? I want your justice on their life. But when it comes to my life, I want your grace. And when we stand before God, here's the character of God. Here's the reality that we will see. That we will either see Savior, mercy, and grace, or we will see righteous judge. And in that moment, it's too late to get on the bandwagon. It's like some of y'all became Houston fans after they won. I love you. I accept you. I don't know. I'm not a Houston fan. I'm a Texas fan, okay? I like Texas. I'm glad we got a championship. It's an awesome World Series. But a lot of people got on the bandwagon after they won the championship. The kingdom of heaven ain't like that. You won't get on the bandwagon after it's over. We make our decision now. Are we going to accept, reject? And when we reject the people who are sharing the message of the kingdom, we're rejecting Jesus. When we reject Jesus, we're rejecting his father. And his father says, if you want nothing to do with me, then you've made your decision. It breaks his heart, but he says, I've given you that choice. So what, what, is, what does all this mean for us? I mean, because we, we see Jesus sending out 72 to prepare the way for the kingdom. And I want to kind of tie this up about, about us. What does it mean in our context? What does it mean in our community? Because we are just a sent. Jesus didn't send just the 12 and say, okay, it's done. We see him now sending the 72 and he doesn't say it's done. There's a forward progression of the kingdom of heaven. We're always being sent. We always have purpose. We always have tasks. And you and I are just a sin. It's, it's the great commission. When Jesus said, go therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands. And I will be with you even to the end of the age. In Luke chapter 24, it, it, it's another take on the great commission tells us that we're to go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness. There's something that we do. It's not just for the audience hearing them. It's, it's for us, and, and we have to engage in this mission. You and I have a responsibility, and what I've seen in the kingdom and just what I've seen in life is, is people who are engaged can engage other people. People who are, are working can say, come along with me. Instead of, hey, come watch what I'm watching. We're called to active, not sedentary. As I work, come work with me. You want to get to know me well? I mean, the church is growing and people are like, hey, we want to go to dinner with you and Heather and get to know you or take you to coffee. We want to get to know you. You want to know the best way to get to know me? Come serve with me. Come serve with me. Come work with me as I'm working because that's the best way to get to know me. Just sitting across the table, sedentary, I love it. I love food and I love you, but man, that's just, man, let's, let's do something together. Let's get involved with something. I've learned that people who are engaged in things can engage other people because it's a mentality of come along with me, come experience this with me. There's an appointing and anointing that is on the church. Jesus in verse one appointed them. The anointing came when he says, when they receive you, heal the sick. Most importantly, preach the kingdom. Share the gospel. There's hope. There is redemption. There is life. Engage people, engage people. I've also seen that, that prepared people prepare people. Remember that show, Doomsday Preppers? 
Some of you are like, no, I don't remember that show. I've got everything, every series DVR'd, but I don't know what you're talking about. Some of you are like, honey, he can't be talking about this. I don't want to go. I'm not going to ask where your bunker is. Just making a reference here. Have you noticed how people who are prepared like to help other people get prepared? It's like when you get on an airplane and they go through the whole thing, you know, to fasten your seatbelt, insert the metal clasp into the buckle, which is ironic because I've already buckled my seatbelt, right? But I'm like, I'm not an idiot. I know how to buckle my seatbelt. Now, I've flown with some people that really need that instruction. I'm just saying. Just gonna, just gonna go on the qualifier there. But then they go into the next spiel, right? In the case, in the unlikely event of an emergency, in the oxygen mask deploy, what do they tell you to do? Please place your oxygen mask on first. And then place it on someone else. That's the sound effects. You can use that. That's your visual for the week. You know, am I prepared? And then am I help preparing other people? Prepared people prepare people. You're going to think about this this week, man. You're going to be like, hmm. And that was pulling it tight. If you didn't get the, I'm not, I, I failed out of mime school. So, you know, but this is the oxygen mask, the strap, and then tightening it down, okay? So some of you are gonna, every time you fly now, you're gonna think about Jesus. You're gonna be like, dear Jesus, I hope this plane lands safely. And am I prepared? I'm prepared. So even if it doesn't land safely, I'm going home. Prepared people, prepare people. And then, then here's, that's a tongue twister. But then the, the next step is, is you and I who have been reconciled are called to be reconcilers. That, that reconciled people reconcile people. It's 2 Corinthians chapter five that you and I were separated from God. And, and through his blood, because of, of what he did on the cross, because of the facts of the gospel, they become reality in our life and bring reconciliation between us and, and God. That, that he made him, Jesus, to be our sin for our sake so that we could be righteous before him so that when we stand before him, he, we don't get asked the question, why should I let you into heaven? The answer has already been done because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our savior and forgiveness for our sin and it's his righteousness. So when God sees us, when we step into that presence, when we pass through that threshold called death, we stand in the presence of God and we're not gonna sit there shaking going, am I in or am I out? He looks at us. You know your kids, right? He's gonna look at us and he's gonna say, welcome home, son. Hey, girl, glad you're back. Welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's gonna know us because of Christ, because we've been reconciled. You ever notice that line of reconciliation? Let's talk about family for a minute because Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up. And some of y'all already dreaded it like, oh man. She said something 17 years ago that I'm still not over. I'm not sitting at the table. I ain't even going to the house. Every family has an element of dysfunction, some just more than others. Let's be honest, okay? We're all screwed up. But there's, there's separations that happen in our families. And you ever notice that, that family's easy? They start picking sides. You know, they're like, uh, 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 we're not talking to them. They're not invited to Thanksgiving. But there's always that one person in the family that says, this isn't right. And you're like, watch it. Christmas is coming. You get nothing. There's always that one person that's like, this isn't right, we're family. 
and they cross that line and they reconcile with the person that everybody's against. Have you noticed that that person that crosses the line becomes a reconciler for the rest of the family? That's Jesus. We were separated from God and we were enemies of God is what scripture tells us. And Jesus stepped across that line, was born of a virgin, gave his life to say, hey, God loves you. God gave his life for you. He wants to be reconciled to you. So what do you say we we reconcile this relationship? And it's interesting that those of us who have been reconciled, it's easy for us to go and help reconcile others. Hey, God loves you. He gave his life for you and he wants that relationship with you. Let me get practical for a minute. What does this look like? As I was praying about it, here's just what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. You've got, every one of you have three people in your life that you're praying to come into a relationship with Jesus. This week, I want you to get practical with this. I want you to engage with three people. Some of y'all don't even have to pray about what, who those three people are. But I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to engage. Grab an oar and start rowing. Reach out to them. Engage with them. It doesn't mean you're gonna preach the gospel to them. It might be a first step of reconciliation. It might be a first step of saying, hey, man, I, I love you and I wanna connect with you. Three people, be intentional. Put their names in your phone, put a reminder on your calendar to pray for them this week and put a note on your calendar to intentionally reach out to them and just love them. Your neighbors, whoever it is, somebody you work with, but let's get real with this because the mission that you and I are on is a glorious mission and there's life change that's coming. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this gospel. Jesus, thank you for dying for us and thank you for the resurrection. Holy Spirit, thank you for calling Jesus out of the tomb on that third day. Thank you for calling us into life and you, Holy Spirit, are the one who leads us into truth. You also convict us. And so, Father, I'm praying right now that the power of the Holy Spirit is here. The presence of God is in this room. You're here. And for those hearts and those lives in this room that the Holy Spirit is drawing in through grace and love and mercy and conviction, that, God, I'm asking you that the reality of the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus transforms a life today. That you, Holy Spirit, are saying, hey, Jesus, cross the line to reconcile you, to bring you life, to bring you hope, to bring you forgiveness, to bring you into relationship. I'm asking you to implant the courage in them to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my hope and my life and my freedom, my resurrection, my reconciler, and my king. God, I pray that all of us 
give everything we have to this mission that is difficult, dangerous, but so glorious. For your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.